I want to start off this morning. I've, I've mentioned a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about over these next three weeks. Hopefully, you will have heard enough of it that you'll start to say, hey, wait a second. He's, he said this before. I pray so. I pray that some of the things that I will say you have heard before and that they are beginning to lodge. Again, I want to talk about those things that we do no matter what we're doing. This morning, I want to talk about the first prong of our three-pronged vision at Bethel in general, and specifically at this campus, we want to be all about growing communities. Now, you might hear that and go, I've heard it before, I get it. Hold on. We've never heard the gospel enough. I don't know who you are exactly, where you come from, how you even got to be in this room this morning, but I promise you, None of us have heard the gospel enough. We want to be about all the time, no matter what we're doing, growing communities. In my humble yet completely accurate opinion, one of the greatest blights of the late 20th century and the early 21st century is what sociologists call atomism. Atomism, as an A-T-O-M-I-S-M, atomism. It's the idea, the notion, the social, the cultural practice, behavior, mindset that says every individual is just that. They're merely an individual that is existing in the cosmos at a time and a place, but that's it. They are atoms. They are individuals, first and foremost, principally, primarily, that is all. Just atoms adrift in the cosmos. And I would contend that that is a great, great evil now, it doesn't sound very evil because sort of the cultural lingo and the societal speak goes like this. Oh, man, you do you. You do you. That's not biblical. And in fact, it works in diametric opposition to growing communities. I want to talk about the opposite of atomism which is when all these different atoms, these elements, actually begin to come together for the sake of others. Now, there's a, a man who's one of my great, great heroes in the faith. His name is Bruce Waltke. Bruce Waltke is sort of like the seminary professor to seminary professors. He's, he's an amazing guy. Every textbook that you'll ever read about any sort of doctrine or theology references people who are referencing Bruce Waltke. And he distills the Old Testament down to this. And I think it's brilliant. I love it. If it wasn't completely socially reprehensible, I would have it tattooed across my forehead. It says this, Waltke says this, the righteous, the Old Testament word for the righteous is sadiq in Hebrew. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Now, I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to read that again so that you hear it through the filter, through the lens, through the ear of what's going on in the year 2020. Can I be that bold and direct? The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Now, let me be as blunt as I can and just slap the sunburn on your soul. You and I fall into one of those two categories, biblically. And it's not the one you want to be in. All of us have an opportunity for the gospel to transform us all over again. 
Now, we've already heard our passage read this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. This is going to be the fastest sermon you will have ever heard in Ephesians chapter 4, just because I want to draw out some specific aspects of it. I don't want to do a full exposition of the passage, although I would love to. We would be here until 7. I'm going to be relatively efficient as we walk through this. Now, this idea of atomism, let me also state with caution, is primarily a Western civilization issue. This is not really happening in central China. This is not really that big of a deal in Uruguay, although it is beginning from our media pumping society here in the West to infiltrate other societies and cultures. So it's going to be a global issue, this idea of atomism. But when these atoms actually do get joined together, a complex collection of elements creates something new and powerful. I was horrible in all of the sciences and math and candidly English and history as well. But I do remember this, that you could take hydrogen, which is essentially one of the most boring pieces of existence in our cosmos, and mix it with oxygen, and pretty soon you have water. And without water, there's no life. But it does take two different elements in different sort of measures, if you will, to come together to make molecules. So when I talk about growing communities, this is our big idea for the morning. It goes very simply like this. It's alliterative. It's two words. It's very quick to remember. It's make molecules. That's what we want to be about is making molecules. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 7, as you're turning there and as I'm turning there, just a quick little bit of background. This is one of what we call Paul's prison epistles. He's sitting in Rome under house arrest. He had a plan. This wasn't it. He had a plan. He'd already been on a few missionary journeys, giving the gospel, planting churches, installing leadership. The local church is the hope of the world, and the apostle Paul believed that, gave his life to it. And he was going to do more. But suddenly, he finds himself chained to a soldier in Rome on his own nickel. God, what are you doing? The church could be doing so much more if you would just let us loose. Let Paul, the man, out. And yet God says, no, 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 it's okay. I got this. You see, God has the eternal view in mind. I'm frustrated. I'll level with you. I'm frustrated by the pandemic, by all that's going on in our world culturally, politically, all those things. God's not. I'm increasingly trying to pray to bring my heart, mind, soul, even body into line with his, which is what the Apostle Paul is going to write. His prayer is for the people of Ephesus. Paul's sitting in Rome and he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. Now you have to understand, Ephesus is super central in your New Testament. Two-thirds of your New Testament is either written to or from what is today modern Turkey. And Ephesus is the crown jewel of that. Paul spent three years there. Ephesus is where the seven sons of Sceva get whipped naked. That's a cool thing. Ephesus is where John, the apostle, after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, John, we have on very good church tradition, takes Mary, mother of Jesus, to Ephesus, where John over a hundred years old, following his exile in Patmos, returns to Ephesus and they carry him in on a chair over the age of a hundred where he still preaches. Ephesus is a super central city in our New Testament understanding. So I'm just gonna pick up here in verse seven. Paul writes, but grace was given 
to each. Hekastos in the Greek. Every single believer, if you are in the church, a special, unique grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Not out of the measure of Christ's gift. That would be cool. That'd be nice. That'd be awesome. It's not out of, it's according to. If Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Mark Zuckerberg give me $5, that is out of their wealth. If they each give me, I don't know, $500 million, that is according to their wealth. Please understand all the difference in the world. What Paul's saying is this is massive. He says, each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Verse nine, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions the earth. Now, Paul's doing a little bit of commentary here. He's roughly referencing Psalm 68 which has wrapped a whole lot of people around the axle saying, hey, wait a second, he doesn't quote it exactly. You know what? When you're an apostle and you know that you're writing scripture and you spend at least three years in the deserts of Arabia with the risen Lord Jesus, you get to nuance and sort of nudge the psalm a little bit. What Paul's actually doing is he's saying, all the things that we hoped for, all the things that we looked forward to from the Psalter, Psalm 68 promised that one day it would be like this. One day Messiah would do this. One day Messiah would do that. And, 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 and it's this. <laughs> it's happened. This is that, Paul is saying. The thing that we've been reading about for a thousand years in Psalm 68. It's this. It's come. But it's not what we expected. He didn't install nor implement an imperial world. Oh gosh, no, it's, it's way better. He set up the kingdom of God in individual human hearts. And because he is the victor, the capital V victor, he distributed gifts to everyone who is his. He didn't build castles and moats with strong iron gates and install armies. He didn't colonize sub-Saharan Africa. No, he sent his third self to indwell the hearts of every believer and gave them a superpower. What was that superpower? To care about others more than themselves and to uniquely be able to make molecules in a world in which atomism is the human degradation and default. It's an incredible thing Paul's talking about here. Verse 10, and I'm gonna ask a favor. Could I have some house lights? Because I, I am apparently older, way older than I look and I can't see any. Oh, thank you. Marvelous, thank you. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul talks about this Jesus descended into the earth, into the grave. This Messiah came, but he's not what we expected. He died, but he also rose again. See, that's the punchline. Jesus is alive. He's not a hero. It's not just a martyr, not a good teacher, not just a radical rabbi. He's God. Because Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. Jesus is alive. Verse 11, he keeps going. And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Interesting little grammatical note there. Jesus gives these people. In other words, God's gift to the church 
is gifted people. Now, we're Americans. We hear that and we go, oh, well, that means the people who are better at some stuff than... than no, 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 no. God's gift to the church is gifted people. I don't mean people who can do math faster than others. I don't mean people who are crafty, who can build things better than others. I mean God's gift to the church is the people of the church, all of whom have been given a gift, and that gift is never, ever for themselves. It is, as we'll find out in a moment, to build up the body and the bride of Christ. We've been gifted to make molecules where two elements come together and something new and powerful is now unleashed. He continues on here, verse 12. Why did, why did Jesus give all of these gifts? Verse 12 is the payoff. Two, here's the in order. Here's the so that. Here's the answer to the question why. Why did Jesus do this? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God's gift to the church is gifted people and their job is to equip all the other people, the hagioi, the saints, the, the indwelled by God's spirit people to do the work of ministry, which is why, and I teased him earlier because he knows that I love and respect him. Mike Hall is our equipping pastor down here. His favorite thing in the world is to sit across a table over a cup of coffee and find out how God has gifted you and then to pair you with another element and to make a molecule that will build and bless and bolster this body. That's what Mike does. There's nobody better. So if you've not yet done that, I encourage you to do that, to seek him out, Mike at Bethelbible.com. He wants to help you find another element with which you can join to make a molecule for this congregation in this community. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's what we're always about. Not making you a big deal. Not so that you can disadvantage the community for the sake of yourself. No, 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 no. So that we can build up the us. We always talk about this. Matt is wonderful at this as we lead our congregation in worship songs and music and hymns and spiritual tune. We don't focus on, here I am, it's all about me. No, 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 here we are. It's us, it's us. We confess corporately. We get this question all the time. Why do we do that confession thing? Because it's true of all of us. All of us have fallen short. We're all gifted in different ways, but the cross is that great common denominator that binds us all together. That's that chemical bond that brings these elements to make molecules. Verse 13, the good news is this is hard work, but there's an expiration date. There is a moment we can finally go, ah, we're done. We can stop the work of ministry. By the way, the word ministry, diakonos, just means through the dust. We kick up dust, serving, blessing, building, bolstering one another for the sake of the body. We kick up the dust as we serve one another. But we can stop at some point. Here, here's, here's when we can stop. You ready? Verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We're almost there. <laughs> hey. Now, the beautiful thing about unity is that by definition, it requires diversity. Please notice Paul does not call for uniformity where everybody agrees with Jeff. That's a bad day. Yeah. We're not after uniformity. We're after unity. 
where through diversity, these different elements come together and make wonderfully resplendent, unexpected molecules that are unleashed powerful forces that build up the body and the bride of Christ. Again, in verse 13, we can stop this when we've all reached the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That is experiential epignosis, where we know him. We know him with intimate familiarity to mature manhood or personhood. I don't know if you're like our family at all. When our boys were very young, we actually did the thing where we would put little notches on our doorframe and we would like watch them grow every school year until we had to stop doing that because we ran out of doorframe and we could hear them growing. They were just like, there they go. And, and we just gave it up. We are all to be growing ever increasingly into the likeness of the Son of God. No, we will never be divine but ever increasingly like his character, thinking his thoughts after him, wanting what he wants, knowing what he knows. Verse 13, to mature manhood, to the measure of the mature, of the, sorry, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's when we can stop applying our whole person to the building up of the body of Christ when every single member has achieved the fullness of the stature, oh my goodness, of the fullness of Christ. I'm sorry, have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? This is God's plan for every human being, that the likes of you, the likes of me, in the mind of God, would have the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. This is incredible. This is very good news. So my first point of application comes at us here from verse 13. It goes very briefly like this. The completion of a Christian comes through community. You heard Dan mention it earlier. The completion of a Christian comes through community and only through community. The New Testament knows no unchurched Christian. You've got friends. You've got family members. They might even share a bathroom mirror with you. I don't need the church. I've heard all the stories. I get it. I got it. Daniel and the whale. I've heard it. I'm done. It's not about stories. It's about the righteous loving the other, willing to disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community. See, completion of a Christian comes only through community. Now, verse 14, I've got to camp here for just a moment because... You may not know this, we're in the year 2020. And Ephesians 4.14 has been that verse that has just been gonging in my soul for months now. Bear with me. Ephesians 4.14, so that, here's the how come, here's the payoff, so that we, who's he writing to? The church, Bible reading, Church attending, Jesus loving, side hug giving, casserole baking, Christians. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. If I may, we live in an age in which information pummels and bombards you. 
And a great many Christians, some of which are occupying the brown chairs in this room, have been snagged and grabbed by cunning doctrines and deceitful schemes. Grabbing our attention, our heart's affection, our mind's attention, leading us to pursuits less noble than the Christ and him crucified. In particular, if I may, there is understandably a great and growing clamor for justice. And I get it. But any clamor for justice that is outside of and apart from the biblical mandate and model of justice is a cunning doctrine and a deceitful scheme intended super intentionally by your enemy to do you damage and to do this body of believers damage. Walk humbly, do justice. Yes, Micah 6, 8, we are, but always and only in the biblical construct. See, there's an increasing emphasis on people desperately wanting community, 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 community. But please hear me. When I say growing communities, it's what we do no matter what we're doing. I do not mean a whole bunch of people who are merely friends, who simply tolerate one another, who are simply angry about the same stuff. That's not community. Community is when two people share a love for a third. Community is when two or more people share in a love for another person, not a cause, not an idea, not a program. Community is when two or more people have a shared love for a third. The reason this is a community is because I love Jesus and you love Jesus. And together, there's a synergistic effect where one plus one equals like a bunch and when you love Jesus and I love Jesus and we share together in our love for Jesus, you know what we call that in the Bible? Community. And our world, our culture, our community is desperate for community. And it has tried every avenue imaginable and it will never find satisfaction nor contentedness until that community is gathered around the shared love for another. Should we partner with people who don't love Jesus? Surely, your neighbor's got a lawn that needs mowed, mow it. But let's talk about biblical community because we want to make molecules. We want to be always about growing communities, sharing in one another's love for a third. That person with a capital P is Jesus. And here's what I'll tell you authoritatively and definitively, he's worth it. Well, let me finish off very quickly here, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love. See, that's the thing. Verse 15 comes immediately after verse 14. We can get mad. We can go on social media. We can cut and paste our buddies' memes that we saw them play. No, no, no. Speak the truth in love. That's sort of the payoff. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You keep your eyes on the finish line. I'm not there yet, but man, I'm growing ever increasingly into the likeness, the heart, the soul, the character, the mindset 
of Jesus. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds. This is unbelievable. It builds itself up in love. You would expect, I would certainly expect for it to say, when we just get along, then Jesus will do this incredible whiz-bang wow thing. And he does. But what Paul says here in Ephesians 4, 16 is astonishing. It builds itself up. Do you understand the dignity and the drive that Paul is telling the church that we have? Psalm 68, oh my gosh, the thing that we thought might happen one day in the eternal state, this is that, it's happening now. We're actually giving the privilege and the power and the prerogative to be effective at building this thing up into the bride and the body of Christ. So just two concluding principles, applications, things that we are to do with this. I want to be as intensely practical as I possibly can after that thick and rich ecclesiology that Paul gives us. Now, what are we supposed to do? Well, our big idea again for this passage for our growing communities is that we would be intentional about making molecules. So the first thing, the first application, implication, principle, or step is very simple. It goes like this. Just walk across the room. That's it. Just walk across the room. You see somebody over there? I'm not sure I know them, but I might know them and I don't want to feel silly if I go introduce myself to them and I've actually known them for five years. It's okay, blame the mask. <laughs> walk across the room, meet somebody. Ask somebody to lunch. Listen, we live in Smith County in Tyler, Texas. You can find a place to eat. You can. Take somebody to coffee. Take somebody that you might not ordinarily take to coffee or breakfast or lunch. Invite someone to your home. Better yet, invite yourself to someone else's home. <laughs> we do that all the time. We haven't cooked since Reagan was in office. We just show up at people's house and go, hey, what do you got? Just walk across the room, engage, initiate with somebody. And by the way, liking their Instagram, that's not walking across the room. Engage with someone. I promise you, the Lord will be honored and you will be blessed. Just walk across the room. Ah, you see, I'm an introvert. I don't really like others. I get it. They can be the worst. And yet, I'm going to tell you, I just almost had a full grand mall STEMI this morning listening to you singing, listening to the children up here. Joe can attest, I'm back in the back when we're singing and I'm doing the full-on overbite. Just, mm, So good for God's people to be together. Don't let opportunities pass. Just walk across the room. That might mean you text someone. If you're my age and older, you can still actually know how to use the telephone aspect of your device and make a phone call. Walk across the room. Get involved in some sort of small togetherness, life groups. I know it's hard to have life groups during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, but I've been to the restaurants and I've seen you all there. Y you can do it if it's a priority. So I'm asking you to prioritize it, to walk across the room. When we pursue and love one another, please hear me, please hear me. We are actually engaged in the most fierce 
and ferocious spiritual warfare you can ever do. You can march, you can shake your fist, you can go on Instagram and make a fool of yourself. Awesome. Doesn't really change anything. But when we pursue one another, that is the front lines of spiritual warfare that makes your enemy turn and run. Secondly, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I I didn't make that up. It's a tried old cliche but it's increasingly salient for what we're talking about in the church, about growing communities, making molecules, engaging other people who share a love for this third person. Make no mistake, God redeems individuals. Yes, I understand that. There is no group conversion, but let me say it again. The New Testament knows no unchurched Christian. And a churched Christian is a person that is indwelled by God's spirit, to serve the body of Christ. A New Testament Christian is not someone who is indwelled by God's spirit so that they can go to heaven when they die. That is a distinctly non-biblical notion. A Christian is someone indwelled by God's spirit to serve the body of Christ until they die. The sum is greater than the whole of its parts. And when these two elements, these atoms come together in different measure, sometimes it's two parts oxygen, one part hydrogen, it creates water. It creates steel. It creates all different sorts of materials that build up the body. But as long as you and I maintain our culturally implemented atomism, this group of people is missing out on some very necessary materials. Make molecules. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So that, Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, so that if and when we do all that, watch this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want you to hear that. When the church is and does what the church is and what it's supposed to do and be, the manifold glory and wisdom of God is made manifest, is declared, is demonstrated among the angelic realms and in particular... And he says, the authorities and rulers, that's the demonic world. When the church does what the church is supposed to do, God's glory is made manifest among the demonic world and they shriek back. And you and I have the gall to say it doesn't matter. And we don't need church. We've heard the stories. Whoa. Make molecules wage war against the forces of darkness. And if you must meme, so be it. But for every meme you make, make a molecule. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to gather together in person in this place and digitally online. We pray, God, that you would continue to move among these, your people, to grow communities. That no matter what we're doing, this is what we're doing. Father, that you by your spirit would draw these different elements of gifted people to come together to make new materials to build and bless and bolster your body. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you, that is still simply trying to give their life to a cause, 
Would you expand exponentially their capacity to understand what they are and what they're for? And would you give them the gospel, the good news of what God you have done in Christ to redeem us to yourself and to one another? May they step out of disbelief into belief, out of death into life. May they talk with someone they know and love and trust. May salvation again come to this house and may we work from the reality of our salvation. We pray all this, Father, in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen.